This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome back to another episode of The Faithful Expositor. Uh, it's a joy to be in here um, in our recording studio at Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church with our senior pastor, Brother Jonathan Sims, and our youth pastor, Slash associate pastor Tyler Bowman is here. No jokes aside, Tyler, it is good to have you in the studio with us this morning. Absolutely. Pumped to be here. Amen. We did want to just start this episode um, off by praying for uh, the Malone family of Grace Life Church, of Muscle Shoals, um, the Hiles family. Um, Antonio Howes is a former member of, of our church and moved to the Shoals area and married Erica Malone um, a few years back. Um, the Malones lost their youngest son, um, Simeon Malone, uh, yesterday in a car accident. And uh, Eric and the rest of the family, our heart goes out to you, but we just wanted to start this episode off by praying um for you all, Brother Jono, you want to lead us in prayer? I'd be glad to. <clears throat> Father, we just come to you this morning, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you gave when Christ ascended back to your right hand, our comforter, our helper, our friend, our God. And Lord, we just pray right now that you would send your spirit to Brother Eric and his family God, that you would comfort them in a way that only you as sovereign God can. Lord, today we are so thankful for the rock and the anchor that we have in Jesus Christ, that Simeon was a born-again believer, a committed Christian, loved the Lord, sweet brother. Lord, we're just so thankful that his faith was in Jesus, and now he's home with the Lord absent from the body, present with the Lord. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, we just pray that the knowledge of that would comfort Brother Eric and his family. We pray for the pastors and leaders of Grace Life Church that will be ministering to this family, the small groups that are ministering to them. Lord, we just pray for the brothers that will be preaching the funeral and ministering directly to the family. God, that you would fill those brothers with your spirit and anoint them with strength and power. Lord, we pray especially for Antonio that serve in our country overseas, that you would comfort his heart at this season, Lord, being away from his family. We know that distance makes it very difficult, but we just pray, Lord, that Antonio would sense the love and the prayers of your people and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life as well. Father, help all of us not to take for granted another day that we have and use every one of them for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I was texting with Antonio this morning and just encouraged him to go back and listen uh, to our previous episode uh, of the podcast and talking about the sovereignty of God. Amen. um, Because he had just uh, said back to me, God is sovereign and we're trusting in that and um, that's why we, not to rehash our past episode, but pastors, you taught us this is why we preach the whole counsel of Scripture. And brother, you know, it does dovetail with exactly what we talked about in the last podcast. Antonio, again, I think they call him TJ now. Mm-hmm. He was one of those students that I think Bryce Clinton invited to come to youth camp, and he came, and we taught Amazing Grace, and he heard of the sovereignty of God. You know, he was attending, he was actively attending a Church of Christ church, you know, very Arminian in their theology, very man-centered, and he came under the conviction of God's Spirit and and was regenerated, born again, trusted Christ, and, man, just took off in growth mm-hmm. and maturity and sanctification and learning uh, God's Word. And, and I'm just so thankful today that he has and this family has uh, – as foundational ground underneath them, the absolute sovereignty of our great God. Mm-hmm. I don't know when she posted it. I would assume it was 
um, later in the day, uh, but I, you know, just saw it. Um, Erica posted a post on Facebook just, you know, praising God for saving Simeon and, yes. uh, you know, just pointing other people to the hope in Christ. And and no doubt they're grieving and struggling and um, all those things are right and should uh, feel that way when you lose uh, a loved one. Um, but there's still hope, you know, like we talked about. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, we sorrow not as those who have no hope because we believe Jesus died and rose from, from the dead. You know, we know that we will see our loved ones again because we'll see the Lord Jesus face to face. And so the Christian always has hope, even on the very darkest of days. Mm. And brothers, this is why we do what we do. This is why God called us into the ministry. We're preparing people in the good days for the not so good days. Yeah. We're preparing people in their life for the last day of their life, mm. the whole message of Ecclesiastes. We go out to the day of our certain death, we back up from that day to where we are today, and we live every single day in light of that coming certainty. And um, I know that Brother Jeff Noblet and Matt Fowler and all the elders at Grace Life Church preach that, practice that on a daily basis, and have done a great job of preparing the Malone Howells families for this very day. Yeah. And we rejoice in the anchor holding. <laughs> Amen. Amen. This is as pastors while we're here. That's right. Uh, and as we continue on uh, in Titus, um, as you move through it expositionally, you know, we get to verse 5 where Paul uh, is going to begin to lay out these qualifications. Um, and I just want to read the text, and then we'll just kind of dive in because there are some, some things you brought out, Brother Jono, that we just uh, we can't overlook um, and hopefully can even— um, expound on even more in this podcast than, than you could in your, your message. But he says in verse 5, For this reason I, Paul, left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Uh you jumped off and and pointed out in your introduction that clearly Paul and Titus had been serving in Crete. Um, that's why he was left there, um, and 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 which is astounding to think about. Mm. Um, how, brother Jono, did did we get Paul and Titus even in Crete in the first place? Well, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You know, Paul constantly remarks uh, that the Spirit of God, you know, would not allow me to go here, but the Spirit of God, you know, instead had me go here. And it's believed that there were people from the island of Crete in Jerusalem at Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came, the church was formed. Uh, they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day they were added to the church, thousands and thousands of souls. And these people that were in Jerusalem from Crete heard the gospel, believed, they were baptized, they were added to the church, and like all of the Christians there, they returned to their homeland. So they went back to the island of Crete. They began to tell people what they had heard. The Spirit of God moved there. People were converted on the island. And churches began to form, uh, which is what the Great Commission is, you mm -hmm. know, what we're commanded to do. So these people were obedient to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. And the problem, though, was churches were formed on the island without elders. Mm -hmm. And this created a vacuum uh, of leadership. Certainly the people were saved. Certainly they were a right to assemble together. That's a command, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. But they were assembling together without leadership. And you can imagine the problems that arose uh, 
heretics began to teach false doctrine. Judaizers moved in with uh, their error. Um, there were heresies. There were the major problem was a lack of holiness. Uh, they were not understanding that salvation is unto godliness, which Paul brings out. So there were several things that were apparent weaknesses and shortcomings because they planted churches beyond the level of qualified men to be pastors and shepherds of those churches. And I just said at the outset, there's a lesson we can learn there. Mm. I believe we're more planting pastors than we are churches. I've said that repeatedly. And obviously, because we live in an imperfect world, we're going to encounter congregations out there that are dissatisfied with unhealthy churches and they want to start a church so that they can have that church established by truth. And they'll come to us in Anchored in Truth and say, hey, we need a pastor. And that's happened so many times I've lost count. And we'll help them. But I think we would all agree it would be much better, much better to start with a biblically qualified, God-called pastor, elders, and let that be established from the very beginning mm-hmm. rather than having to go in and, you know, uh, undo a lot of error. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Paul and Titus were doing uh, mainly on the island of Crete. This just kind of hit me as I was just sitting and listening. Would that not be an ab- admonition against this current satellite church model we're seeing? I mean, throughout Southern Baptist life, but really the, I mean, our evangelical life in, in America right now? I don't believe it's a valid biblical model of church uh, because we don't see it in the New Testament. Um, a local church is a group of people saved in a local area, you know, baptized uh, scripturally with elders, with pastors, teachers over them that are local there that teach them the word of God. And, and I, I, I don't, I don't like that model. I, I don't, I don't think it lines up with the new Testament. I don't think it's the, the best way to shepherd the flock of God. And so, yeah, I, I just, I think there's much fallacy in that hmm. church planting model and that's not something we would ever do. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, and you, and you brought out and it just, it stuck with me. Um, Paul left Titus there, and his job was to set things in order. Right. And you gave us that that Greek word, uh, and I'm a, I'm gonna butcher it. Epi the ortho. That's right. Yep. Uh, and we get our our word orthodontics. Right. From that. Right. So there were some crooked things, and that you know, not to say we're very quick. I think to label things as healthy church, unhealthy church. Mm-hmm. Not to say these churches were necessarily unhealthy. But they were lacking, yep. and there was some crookedness, yep. uh, as you as you pointed out, with their holiness. That's right. Um, but Paul's coming in, and you know, you you said I, I don't know if it's in your notes, but it came off. Uh, he's sending an orthopedic surgeon. That's right. To these churches in Crete. That's right. Can you expound on that a little bit? Again, you know, the root word ortho, we get orthodontics, orthopedics uh, from that word, and. Everyone knows what that is, uh, setting bones straight, setting teeth straight. And there were things lacking in the churches. There were th- That's what happens when you don't have qualified leadership. Things grow crooked. Mm. Things get, you know, the Bible says, let all things be done decently and in order. And when there's not proper God-ordained, biblical qualified leadership in the church, things are going to cr- grow crooked. They're mm. going to swerve. They're going to get out of step with the New Testament. And that's exactly what had happened on the island of Crete. We don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. But something happened that necessitated Paul pretty abruptly leaving hmm. Crete. We're not told what it was. We, we, can, we can surmise probably there was a need somewhere else, something more urgent. And um, I know it probably was a great burden to Paul to leave Titus behind because this was one of his, you know, trusted associates. Mm. But Paul had to leave fairly abruptly, and he leaves Titus behind. 
And this letter, the pastoral epistle to Titus, kind of served as apostolic credentials uh, for Titus to do the things that needed to be done to set this church straight. And I think Paul writing these things down, sending in a letter, would would serve as a, you know, a stamp of approval that he's here operating on behalf of Paul. He's here operating on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has authority to set these things straight. So you mean to tell me in the plurality of elders there's a hierarchy and someone has to lead? Absolutely, brother. <laughs> uh, there, Absolutely, there is, and you know there there has to be a leader among equals. There always has been. There always will be. Historically, biblically, in, in the best models of church leadership, we see this. Yep. And so, I mean, that's a good point that you bring out there. And again, that just has to do with order. Hmm. Um, they were equal in calling, equal in conversion, equal in standing before God. But the Lord recognized um, one to be the one leading the others. Mm. And so Timothy uh, and Titus operated in that capacity under under Paul's leadership, and this helped to bring order and structure to the church that was lacking. Mm. And the only thing that would was setting these elders, these pastors, these presbyteros uh, in place. And you, you brought that out before, again, jumping... Um, too far into the qualifications, um, but you said there at, at the outset two things that are that are true that I think we miss mm-hmm. in churches. We we will, um, in biblically sound driven churches, we'll hold up the fact that a man must meet these qualifications. But you brought out in labored, he has to maintain them. Yes, as well. Yes. What good would meeting them be initially if you didn't maintain them? And so this is a race to the end. We, we run the race to the very end. We don't finish the race until the end. And that's why you hear Paul praying things like at the church at Thessalonica, I pray, God, your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. Uh, Paul said to, I think, the church at Galatia, you did run well. Who cut in on your running path? Who hindered mm. you? And so it's it's starting the race. Yes, it's important how we start it. It's important running the race. Absolutely important how we run it. And it's important how we finish the race. So a man needs to be qualified in the beginning. He needs to be qualified in the mid. He needs to be qualified at the end. So a man must meet these qualifications and they must be maintained for him to be biblically qualified. So I think it's uh, then a fair application to say that there should be a regular and consistent uh, checkup among the elders, among themselves, that to honestly look at one another, to, to hold each other accountable. Let's look at, let, let's look at uh, you know, our family life, l- these areas that are mentioned in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy. Let's look at these qualifications. Let's look at, uh, you know, our... Uh, giving, uh, where do we stand there? Mm-hmm. And le- let's look at our faithfulness to personal devotions and prayer, and and let's look at our attendance and these types of things. And you know, I I, I also want to say that, and we're about to do this. It's 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 legitimate and absolutely necessary to keep things straight. That this should be done with deacons that we should look at our deacon ministry in the same light. Mm. You brothers were qualified when you signed on, but are you still qualified? And that's just iron sharpening iron. It's looking at places we've let slip. It's looking at places we've might got lax about and just uh, calling each other back to those fundamentals and those basics. That's so important. Mm. Amen. And as you said many, many times, it starts at the top. Absolutely. Churches don't rise above their leadership. Um, we are blessed to have a plurality of elders here at Shelbyville Mills. The, the three of us are sitting down together. Um, but it it starts with Jonathan Sims. Uh, Ryan Tillman's not going to rise above Jonathan Sims. Tyler Bowman's not going to rise above Jonathan Sims. Well, you know, in the opening chapter, Paul acknowledges this, and that's why he says that uh, – 
all this is being done for the faith of God's elect, which is unto godliness. And we brought that out last time. Mm -hmm. The best evidence of your election is godliness. The best evidence of your salvation is holiness. Uh, um, imputed righteousness always manifests itself in daily living mm. holy and righteous before the Lord. Uh, you have no warrant to say righteousness has been imputed to you if you live like the devil, mm. you know, or, or, or you're living in unholiness or, or repetitive habitual sin. And so we're called to holiness None of us are perfect. We all are in need of the grace that saved us, the grace that sustains us. We all need to repent and confess sin. But there's a striving and there's a there's a running and there's a reaching for the upward things mm-hmm. and not accepting or settling for low living or loose living or lax living or unholy living or carnal worldly living. So it's very important, brother, that we take a good inventory and a good look at these things to make sure that we're living godly lives Mm. and holy lives before the Lord and the eyes of our people and the eyes of the world, because there's overlap between the church and the community. That's right. And not to state the obvious, but sometimes the obvious just needs to be stated. Pastors, elders, deacons in that sense as well, because they're going to be addressed here shortly have to be leading in those areas. Absolutely. That's why there's qualifications, right? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, and you you broke down for us, because um, even here in this text, in, in 5 through 9, we, we see two different words to explain uh, the office. And it's as you preached to us and taught us, uh, it, we have to make sure we understand what's the role, what is the purpose what what's the um, job and function um, of this man in this position yes sir and we see three words in scripture elder bishop or overseer and then pastors and shepherds right can you talk to us a little bit about those three words you basically have three words in the new testament that describe the same office the office of pastor Elder is presbyteros, and we would see the word, we get the word Presbyterian from that word. Uh, Bishop or overseer is used in Titus 1 as well. Episcopos, uh, you hear the word Episcopalian in that. And then pastors and shepherds is the Greek word poimen or poimeno, which translates pastor. And to prove what I'm saying, all three of those words come together in First Peter chapter 5 when Peter explains the office of pastor. Let me read it to you. The elders, presbyteros, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock, poimeno, of God which is among you, taking the oversight, episkopos, not by constraint, but willingly, not a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So Peter takes all three of those words and puts them in two verses to let us know that this office of pastor is three-pronged. It's one man, but it speaks here of different uh, ways that that office is manifested and walked out. For instance, the word elder speaks of an aged man, thus we would say a wise man, a man who is experienced and settled. Now, it can in the New Testament be translated an older brother, but we know that that's not what he's speaking of here because Titus and Timothy were both young men. Mm. As a matter of fact, Paul had to write to Timothy's timidity and reprove him and say, look, you're an elder. Let no one despise your youth, Timothy, but be an example to the flock in the way you're living your love, your spirit, your faith, your purity, there it is again. Mm. You lead with purity, 1 Timothy 4.12. And so when we think about a pastor, the first word we should think about is elder. Here's a brother that's settled. Here's a brother that's level-headed. He's not, uh, you know, caught up on soapboxes. He's not a, uh, you know, a, a, an ambulance chaser as far as different uh events and happenings and 
he's not he's not riding the highs and the lows mm. of the internet you know he's not the guy that can't control his tongue and popping off at the mouth all the time here's here's a man that's much here's the best way to say it brother he's mature and he's stable mm. that's what elder means secondly he says feed the flock this kind of deals with the motive um shepherding jesus was a shepherd we're under shepherds and the chief job of a shepherd's to feed the sheep yeah. for all the things you do or don't do if you don't feed the sheep they're not going to be healthy mm. and so this carries on the aspect of loving caring touching uh providing protecting the sheep um a pastor i've heard it said before he ought to sh- he ought to kind of smell like sheep <laughs> you know yeah he's a he's a herder mm-hmm. he he's out stepping in dung hills and and uh he's out you know, where the sheep eat and it's stinky. And that's why in the Old Testament economy, shepherds were considered unclean and kind of ceremonially defiled because they're doing dirty work. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's one of the chief words Jesus uses to describe a pastor is that we've got poop under our fingernails. We we, we got rough hands. Mm-hmm. We, we You know, we, we're out in the wind. We're out in the air. We're out where our sheep are. Not just in our ivory tower. 100%. Absolutely, man. I mean... So you, you see how this office, we could just say pastor and miss a lot mm. and things get crooked. Mm-hmm. So elder speaks of maturity, feed the flock is poimeno, pastor deals with your motive, your heart. And then overseer kind of deals with the function of a pastor, how, how he functions. And uh, that is that he's guiding, he's overseeing uh, the New Testament uses the word rule, uh, the elders that rule well, and Hebrews three times uses obey them that have the rule over you, um, follow the faith of those that have the rule over you, greet those who have the rule over you, submit yourselves to those who have the rule over you. So an overseer is one who's uh, overwatching, he's a steward, he's managing, he's he's caring, he's looking, he's watching for the guiding the flock, leading the flock mm. where the flock needs to go. So all of those words come together and we see the character of the pastor, we see the motive of the pastor, and the function. I, I want to just say, I think it's very important, and I see the wisdom of Peter and Paul showing us what the office is mm. before he gets into the qualifications so he's telling us what your motive and your spirit and your heart ought to be before he starts unpacking for you yeah. even what the qualifications are. So here's the kind of man we're looking for, stable. And by the way, if a guy's not stable in his secular employment, he won't be stable in the ministry. That's right. If a guy's not mature in his family life, he's not going to be mature in the house of God. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. If he can't manage his home, how can he take care of the house of God? Mm. So he should be... Uh, we should see within the heart of, of a candidate for pastor, love, compassion, empathy, caring, loves people. If a guy doesn't love people, look out, man. I mean, yeah. be careful. I mean, that's that's a red flag. And, and also, you know, can he lead? Mm. Can he guide? Is anybody going to follow this guy? You know, does he have some credibility? which is what all these qualifications point to. Yeah. So I think it's, Tyler, you're in here. You even said, man, it would have been great just to preach the whole message right there, you know. Well, and, and that's what I was just thinking is obviously being able to be under you as my pastor and, and to serve you in the kind of overseeing and pastoral role, but obviously under and submitting to you and your authority in that regard um, has just been I was drinking deep because that's just a it's a monster part of understanding who you are as that man and, and what your role is biblically. And I was I was just in here thinking we, we kind of skipped over it a little bit here and I wanted you to kind of speak to it for a second. Sure. Because I saw the fire in your eyes and I've seen it. Obviously I've, you know, served under you as a the bivocational guy for ten years and now seen it and then was grew up with your children, so I was in your home. There's a level of that overseer part that I've seen in you, and I would encourage senior pastors have to have this to keep things straight, is that protective part. Brother, 
And when you slam that pulpit Sunday morning with this concept of if a wolf walks among those sheep, that shepherd's, I mean, and you snapped your fingers and you hit it and you are, those, your eyes get fierce. And and I know Brother John O. Sims is going to attack open public sin that walks into Shovel Mills Baptist Church. You're on it. And I think that's an overseer part that is tough because, oh, I can preach and I'm a loving guy. But then when it comes to dealing with that sin that's openly in your congregation, that that wolf, we're like, oh, I just don't want to, I don't know how to. Yes. That same ferociousness that you would preach the word has yep. got to be. And so I. Great word, that. brother. If you want to know what kind of pastor you have, here's the way you know. What happens when somebody attacks the flock? Mm. I'll just tell you, y'all know I'm a peace-loving guy, and the older I get, the more I love peace. And, you know, you get tired of controversy. You yeah. just deal with so much of it, man. It's I all mean, around us. Yeah, you just deal with so much of it for so long. And and I'll be, I'd be less than honest with you if I didn't tell you. Sometimes you just get weary. But, brother, I'm telling you something happens beyond me. Uh, when someone begins to sow discord in this church, when someone begins to uh, be used of Satan to— uh, sow seeds of discord, which God hates, by the way. The Bible makes that clear. When someone begins to teach false things or tries to lead someone astray, and y'all know firsthand, y'all know firsthand that we've had some guys come into this church and that weren't qualified to be a suitor for some of our young ladies, and we've stepped in and said, no way, Jose, yeah. that's not going to happen with fire in our eyes, yeah. like you said, brother. And so, man, there's just, brother, I don't even have to try. Uh, there's just a passion that wells up in your heart, and rightly so. Um, and we live in such an effeminate age that just doesn't get have any righteous anger about anything mm. that, yes, it's 100% appropriate for this uh, mature, stable, loving, kind, shepherding, leading guy to absolutely become a warrior. Has to when the body is attacked. Um, and... My kids, one of their favorite stories, <laughs> and this is a little bit funny, but we were having a vacation Bible school uh, family night. Do y'all remember this? And I was sitting on the front pew, and Brian Camp was here at that time, and he was leading that. And this guy got up from the congregation and went up on stage. And this was, and th- these are little bitty mm-hmm. kids up there, and he's walking in between them. And everybody thought that was a part of it. And it hit, wait a minute, this is dangerous. And I stood up and I went there and I popped my fingers and I pointed at him and I said, you get down. And man, he looked at me and I said, right now. And all of a sudden, 10 men were flanking me. I mean, on my left shoulder and right shoulder. And Amy Beth said, man, they descended on that guy <laughs> with, with, with just a vengeance, you know, and, and protected our children. And we got that dude out of there and, and uh, you know, got him back to the back to where we could find out what in the world's going on. And, and that's a little bit of a humorous story, but it... Let me just say, I don't stand alone in that. Mm. I'm flanked by you guys and an army of, of, of other small group leaders and deacons and just mature, stable men in our church that would say, hey, we're not going to tolerate that here. And so th- that that's part of those setting those bones straight mm-hmm. is just that you do have the ability. You do Look, if a guy gets angry all the time at the drop of a hat, he's not qualified to be a pastor. Yeah. But I would go one step further. If he can't get angry at the right time, He's equally not qualified. Yeah. So you have to know when it's just to move with, you know, the kind of determination to eliminate a, a, a potential or a legitimate threat in the Lord's body. Hmm. A cancer that has to be cut out has to be cut out. Yeah. Just that simple. Absolutely. And as, as you've started to unpack these and we only got really past the only to the first one. Right. Um you talked about that that very thing uh, and in your grouping of these qualifications. There's two groups. Right. And we were talking about a little bit over in the office. You know, you read 10 commentaries, and there's pretty much a consensus. There's, you know, well, this qualification is for this area. This qualification is for this area. This, qualica- this area over here. And, you know, it's all these areas come together. But there's just two. In my estimation, brother, absolutely. Well, well, and I—I I mean, as you said that uh, the Sunday morning you preached this, I was sitting there. I was, and I—I I drunk deep, and I was thinking, okay, let's, you know, because I had read the commentaries, you know, whether right. it was 
1 Timothy 3, and I'd be interested for us to go back and look at 1 Timothy 3 and, and sure. see how we Compare. grouped them. Yep. Um, but mm-hmm. read the commentary, see notes, Wearsby, MacArthur, uh, all those guys, and there is multiple groups. But then when you read the text and you understand it in context of these, this office and the different functions and the maturity and the character that's there, there's two groups. Mm. And it's all under that one heading of blameless, but blameless in their house, blameless in the church, in God's house. Right. Um, Brother John, why, I mean, how in coming to these two groups, why did you think it was important to— well, any anything that is a is a qualification that would be something that would be noticed in the community is an overflow from the way this brother's living in his church. Mm-hmm. And so as I read through it and studied it and poured over it, and by the way, this came during the snowmageddon when I was snowed in at home and had hours and hours just sit around and think and ponder and reason. It just occurred to me that when you move beyond uh Titus 1, 5, and 6, and and the first part of verse 8, because it includes hospitality, he's clearly talking about the pastor's house. How Mm -hmm. How does he pastor his house? And then when you get to 7 through 9, all of those are the way he shepherds the church. Mm -hmm. And while, yes, some of them may be able to be noticed in the community, uh, and I know Timothy mentions a good reputation toward those that are on the outside. I get that. You can't have a good reputation on the outside if you don't, if you're not shepherding the house of God faithfully on the inside, well, you can look out, you can look in your community like you're the husband of one, one wife, right? But in the privacy of your home, you can be addicted to pornography. Right. You, you can be looking at all kinds of different things, right? right. And, and not be the husband of one wife, have yeah. many wives, right? In your heart, for yeah. sure, absolutely. And so, as I looked at it, man, it just, it just occurred to me. These two points are blameless in his house, and he's to be blameless in God's house. Mm. And then the community will take care of itself yeah. <laughs> yeah. if we're what we're supposed to be in the Lord's house. Yeah, amen. And that is clearly the truth. I mean, it it bleeds over into it's you can't separate them. Right. Um, you know, one of the things um, I've just I've always loved, and you know, Tyler, you talk about that you know, passion, and, and we all see it on Sunday mornings, and, you know, but the the same man you are in the pulpit, you are in your office, you are at the basketball game, you are at the Trek store in Murfreesboro, there's, there's no compartmentalization of Jonathan Sims or, or who you are. And I, I just want to give you a testimony, and I hope that's true, man, I want it to be, I that's the chief desire of my heart. It really is, and it's so liberating. I just can't tell you how freeing it is. To I hate fake. I just cannot do it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate phony, and I, that's just always repulsed me and repelled me. And I, I've always just I, I I didn't want my wife or my daughter or my son to be sitting out there thinking, man, what a hypocrite. Mm. We live with this guy at home. We know what he is. And they saw me make mistakes, but I hope they also saw me repent and then get back up and proceed back after the Lord again. But I just can't tell you how liberating it is to just just be a Christian. Hmm. Not I'm not trying to be a Christian. I just am. And, and, and to just not have to, well, okay, I acted this way around uh, this group yesterday, and I acted this way around. Now, who was it that I said that to? And yeah. how did I act around? That would just be misery. Yeah. It is misery. It's just, it's not real. <laughs> and, and so there's just great liberty and freedom in uh, just, you know, as you rise up, as you lie down, as you walk by the way, Deuteronomy, uh, the great Shema passage, 6, 4, and 5, and and just being authentic and being real and not having anything to hide, which is what that word blameless means, mm. brother. He prefaces all of these qualifications by the word blameless. And it just means that it's a legal term that there's no charge, legitimate charge that can stick. Um, it, it, it means that you are godly, which is what it says in verse 1. It, it, it means that you know, there's no charge that can convict you because you're living 
the way you're supposed to live. And if anybody made, if anybody made a bogus charge about you, nobody'd believe it because mm-hmm. your your love for Christ and love for people would would their first knee jerk reaction would be, man, I don't believe that, you know. And that's what this word blameless means is that's the kind of men that we're supposed to be in our home privately. Let me just say, I'm no more what you guys see than I am what you don't see. That's where, That has to back up what mm-hmm. you see. What I am in the public eye is fake and phony if it's not backed up by purity where yeah. you can't see. And um, again, we don't believe in sinless perfectionism. That's a heresy that we reject. Don't even want to talk about that. That's ridiculous and absurd. You guys both know I'm a sinner, and y'all have seen me sin, and you've seen me have to ask for forgiveness and ask you to forgive me and and repent for attitudes and the ways that I've said things and done things that are just purely straight-up sin. But it's a basic level of purity and character and integrity that, that, you know, strives to please Jesus, wants to please Jesus. And let me state it this way. What, what happens, brother, when you sin? That's a great question. Mm. What happens when you sin? And I can only tell you this, that when I sin, I'm immediately grieved. Man, I'm just vexed. The Holy Spirit comes. There is a heaviness. There's a troubling. I know I'm wrong. And I know that I'm not going to have the peace that I love and long for till I agree with God about this and get right. And sometimes that means asking Kayla to forgive me. Many, many times it meant asking my daughters and my son to forgive me. Sometimes it means going to a church member to ask them for forgiveness. Is that not what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, when you come to the altar and you discover a trespass against your brother, you leave your gift there Mm. and you go your way and you be reconciled to your brother. So it's just living clean. Mm. It's living pure. It's what he says in the opening chapter there. Our election is unto godliness. It means that we live in a godly way. And look, don't ever accept the standard, the false standard. Oh, well, we're all sinners. We all fall short. We're all just miserable failures. And so let's just all get together and be one big pool of miserable failures. That is not. Mm. That is not. Somebody's got to stand up in that group and say, okay, all right, we've all failed. Now let's do better. Yeah. Let's let, let's rise up, man. Yeah. Let's let's don't shoot at nothing and have a low standard. Yeah. Let's let let's rise up and let's try. Let's go for Christ. Let's do better in Christ. Let's strive for a better way, a more excellent way. Go and sin no more. Absolutely. Don't don't wallow mm. in the pool of mediocrity and accept a low standard of living, man. And that goes back to the elder. Being a leader, yeah, you can only lead to the degree of personal purity you have, guys. I was just sitting here thinking those exact things. We said it, you say it all the time. As goes the pulpit, as goes the church. Absolutely. And and you, as a pastor, just generically speaking, not you, our pastor, but as a pastor, you've got that secret home life that you know you're you're hateful at home, or you know you act a certain way in your home, and but then, you know, come to the church office and, and we, you know, we put on our nice shirt and we and we clean our act up a little bit. You're not fooling anybody. Not at all. That congregation, they may not call you out because they don't they should, feel they the have way. the power to. So they just kind of, we'll just kind of go with the flow, which then enables them to kind of have their little secret lives going on at, mm-hmm. at their home life because we'll just, oh, the pastor's got it. You're not fooling anybody. That yep. congregation, those sheep know. Yep. And they sense it. They know it. And you have now diminished your biblical authority. Absolutely, bro. To what you speak to them, it's okay, cool. Like you talked, I'm supposed to, you know, love my wife as Christ loved the church. But brother, brother, you ain't doing it, so I'm not doing it. And and all of a sudden now, the the power you have and the authority you've been given through Christ has been blemished yep. and is no longer blameless. And the congregation knows it, and they feel it, and sense it, and act accordingly. And so, and, and again, I think that's why it's so important to maintain yeah. these qualifications. You yes. have to maintain that purity, that blamelessness, that above reprochness. And we can only do that through Christ. That's Amen. it. But we it, must we through must. Christ. We and must through Christ. I I don't know if it was you, Brother Jono, or, or someone else in our pulpit, but I just remember someone saying, 
every command of God is a is a promise. Yeah, that was Ron Dunn that but said that. Every yeah. command is a promise. So yeah. if he commands you to be blameless, it's a promise that through the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the preaching, exhorting of the Word, and, and faithful brothers around you being in the church, you, you will be blameless. Not perfect, but blameless. But apart from Christ, you won't. So you no. better hold tight. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever said this to y'all before. When I look back over my dark days of being lost and in sin, and I don't like too much, I'm just going to tell you, it just, it, boy, it just vexes me and brings me down. I, I don't like to think mm-hmm. about it, the person I used to be. But I'll, you know, you guys know what God used to save me. I don't know how I knew this. I guess it's a testament to my parents, what they taught me, a testament to the churches that I went to, and I thank God for that. But I knew in my heart that God was holy. I knew he was holy, and I knew he wasn't going to weaken my sin. I knew that he wasn't going to, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. No, sir. I knew God was holy and righteous and perfect, and I knew I fell short of his Mm -hmm. glory. And, boy, that was a weight. It convicted me, and I knew that one day I was going to stand before him and give an account for falling short of his holiness and perfection. And that's what the Lord used to show me that I needed an advocate, that I needed Jesus Christ, the righteous one, to be the propitiation for my sins. And that's what drove me to Christ. Now, obviously, to a much lesser degree, because I'll never be Jesus. Even after we get to heaven, we won't be Jesus. Mm. Jesus will always be Jesus. <laughs> you know, he's, 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 he's God, and we never will be God. But I'll say this in a lesser way, but in a real way, the pastor has to be holy. Mm. His life should say to the sheep, there's a more excellent way. His life should be a constant rebuke and reproof to the congregation that it's not okay to wallow in sin. Yeah. It's not all right to practice low living. It's not okay to, to, to just be mediocre and subpar and live in compromise and carnality. His life should be a challenge to them, a reproof to them, mm to strive for masteries, to strive for greater things, to strive for Christ-likeness. So where are they going to see that model? Yeah. Where are they going to see it if they don't see it in their yeah. shepherds? We talk about being out in front of our people all the time, being ahead of them, leading. Well, it, it's the same Same here. That's exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. And not to say none of us are better than any member of our congregation. No, sir. That is, that's not what we're saying, but... For me to stand before our children or our entire congregation, for Tyler to stand before the youth or the entire congregation, for you, Brother John, to stand before any of our congregation or groups or whatever, youth camp, Sunday mornings, and to preach on sin, to preach on alcohol, to preach on uh, being a loving husband, to preach on repentance even, we have to stand above the crowd in those areas in order to to preach on them. Listen to again what Paul told Timothy right after he gave the qualifications. He said, let me read it again. Let no man despise your youth, Timothy. Listen to this. But be an example mm. to the believers in word, conversation, love, spirit, faith, and purity. He said, you're to be an example to the church in purity. And that's what's killing evangelical churches. Yeah. You guys shared with me in my office on Monday. I'm not aware of this. I didn't know it. But you guys shared a, a, a church that we all know, a very large church not nearby, divorced pastor, divorced his wife, never stepped out of the pulpit, now has a new pending marriage, seamless. Uh, j- just d- discard your wife, divorce your wife, Keep on preaching, get a new wife, date her, court her, bring her in, marry her. And what does that say to the congregation? Mm. It says that marriage is not important, family's not important, the Word of God's not important, scriptural qualifications not important. And let me just say, no man on this planet, including John O. Sims, is so important to the church and the kingdom that he can be disqualified in the pastoral qualifications and still be a pastor. No man is that important. Mm. God will provide for his church, a qualified leader. But no man, including me, is so important that I can disregard these qualifications and still be a pastor. Nobody. God, he'll send 
someone. He always does to set these things in order. Absolutely. If they're not there, that's it, right. He always will set them straight. That's right. Well, brother John, before I'm wrapping up uh, this episode, you have any final words? We're not going to jump into um, the pastor must be the husband of one wife. This time, we're going to wait and devote a whole episode to that qualification. But before closing, any final thoughts? We think about that word elder, mature, stable, wise. You know, the proverb says, if you walk with foolish men, you'll be foolish. If you walk with wise men, you'll be wise. Brother, find you a wise brother, Mm. a, a, a mature, stable man, and attach yourself to him. It will keep you from the pitfalls that so many young preachers fall into. It'll save your ministry. The second thing I'd say under feed the flock, poimeno, the motive of the pastor, when you're early in the ministry, it's all awkward. You're on training wheels. You don't have your sea legs up under you yet. And it can be when you're getting shot at and and, and you're in fire, it, it can be hard to have love for, for the sheep. You need to pray and you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, to shed the love of God abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You need God to help you love the sheep because God's elect are there. And, and don't, don't be so preoccupied with the wranglings of the goats that you ignore the sheep. That's one of the most significant things Jeff Noblet ever said to me. He said, don't entertain the goats. Don't beat the goats. Feed the sheep. Man, feed the sheep. And here's what happened. The sheep will get so fat, they'll crowd the goats out. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. And then lastly, the overseer. Man, lead with integrity. Lead with character. Lead with holiness lead with purity the people that ought to believe in you the most is your wife and your kids um they ought to say man my dad he's the real deal he's he he practices what he preaches in his home and and so just that would be my final word brother is authenticity uh, integrity character blamelessness godliness which all of these are good bible words um and uh when you do fail, own it, repent, humble yourself, acknowledge it. And what you'll find is your wife and children, they'll gladly forgive you. Your congregation will gladly forgive you. But if if, if you come across as a narcissistic know-it-all that can't admit I'm right and you just don't question me, that's disaster, disaster, disaster. Mm-hmm. And, and so I hope that's just some general counsel at closing here that would help some brothers. Amen. I'm, Amen. No, it is. It's helped me in my life. Well, we are thankful you listened to uh, this latest episode of the Faithful Exposer. Again, encourage you um, to check out the True Church Conference coming up in February, beginning February 15th at Grace Life Church of Muscle Shoals in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. You can go to anchoredintruth.org to learn learn more about it. Uh, And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Faithful Exposer. On Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.